begin. So welcome this morning. It might be afternoon where you are, but welcome. And let's pray. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful record of your beautiful story of your life and your death and your resurrection. You are our Savior, our Lord, the one that we worship and love and adore. So bless us as we open the Bible this morning. Help us to learn so our, our hearts are open. We want to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, walking through this, we are calling it the beautiful Savior. And today, looking at the... Two, two different expressions that Jesus used in the Gospel of Mark. There are actually three in chapter 2, but we're going to see two of them today. So we're going to move really quickly, and I have a lot of material to cover. Those three expressions are this. First of all, we saw this last week. The sick need the doctor. I'd encourage you to go back and see that if you haven't seen that study. Two we're going to see today. New wine in new wineskins. He also says a new patch of cloth doesn't work on an old patch of cloth. Same idea. The other thing is that man was not made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And very important, quick summary, it means this. Jesus is not here to reform old religion. He's bringing brand new life. Secondly, uh, the Sabbath and those who like to follow rules and laws of religion always kill the hope of the gospel. And so Jesus is here to bring something brand new, and it's a life-giving power. It's not just rules, do's and don'ts. So let's get started. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 28. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but not yours? Okay, quick few who, what, when, where, why questions as we walk through this text. Who is this? Well, it's the disciples of John and the Pharisees, and they were fasting. So it was a common practice in this day for people to gather disciples, and you would spend time with that person, listen to their teaching, follow their patterns of way of living. The Pharisees, we saw last week, the separated ones. So what were they uh, doing? Well, they are fasting, abstaining from eating foods. Okay, who? It says some people. So these are not necessarily the disciples of John or the Pharisees, but some people, they come to Jesus and they ask a question. The question, uh, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So I'm asking you a question. Do you think this is curious or critical? Is this a real curious question? They really want some information from Jesus. Or is this a critical question? They're being critical of Jesus. Now, I tend to believe that they are actually being critical of Jesus, and I'll tell you why. It sounds like this actually is more of a statement. And what they're doing is they're saying to Jesus, your disciples don't fast. Why don't your disciples, why don't you, Jesus, teach your disciples to fast? So in this statement is quite an accusation. And uh, Jesus replies with, a, with a quite, a, quite an interesting answer. He says, do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Uh, 
can they fast while the groom is still with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus graciously replies to them. I find this quite kind of the Lord when they come with their cynical question. Um, and many times you'll find that people do this. You might even find this. They ask a question. It's really not a question. It has a question mark on the end of the statement, but they're making a statement. They don't want an answer from you. They're just trying to make a statement in a question form. That's what they've done with Jesus. His reply, he gives them a little example of a wedding guest and a groom. And I think bottom line, what he's after here is timing. That is, a wedding is not a time for feasting. It, rather, it's a time for feasting, but not for fasting. And a wedding is a time for celebration, not for soul searching. The example he's giving here, the wedding guests are the disciples. And the groom is Jesus. Someday the groom will be taken away. That's after Jesus dies and comes back to life. He will be taken up into heaven. He says at that point, they will fast. So it's really, it's like a timing issue. Very important thing to understand in all of our lives, timing. And I don't want to get too lost on a discussion of fasting, but I am. I'm going to give a few Bible verses here. But fasting is a time of, of really humbling your soul. It's a somber time, a sober time of seeking God. And so Jesus gives a bit of an example of timing. And it's very true. If you're going to fast, don't do it when you have a big project on at work. You're not going to have the energy you need to present that project or to finish the project. If you are going to a celebration like a wedding, it's not the time to show up fasting. That's a feasting time. So just a few comments here. I'm not sure if you're aware of this from the Bible. You know, there are no instructions in the Bible on fasting. That means, you know, the Bible doesn't say when to fast, how long to fast, what you should pray when you fast, what you cannot eat, what you can eat. In fact, there's no direct command that says you must fast. There are many examples of fasting. For example, Jesus fasted for 40 days and Moses fasted for 40 days. So did Elijah. I've given you just a few examples here. One of Israel fasting for a day, of all the Jews fasting for three days. There's some men from a town called Jabesh Gilead that fasted for seven days. And the church in Antioch fasted in Acts chapter 13. We're not sure how long, but they did. Uh, a couple of comments about fasting. Fasting does not forgive your sins. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, you're feeling very heavy because maybe you've grieved God in some area of life, you have to realize that fasting and praying won't forgive you. It might be a good thing to do to seek God with a sincere heart, but it's not going to forgive you. The blood of Jesus forgives all sins, and if you confess your sins and admit that they are wrong, God forgives. It's that simple. The work of Jesus on the cross forgives your sins. Fasting is for, and these are some examples in the Bible, for worship, for expressing grief over sin, for expressing grief over personal tragedy, seeking God's help. You might need an answer to prayer. It might be a good time to fast and pray. Jesus gives a little instruction on fasting. He says, uh, he says this, and this is one of the few instructions we receive anywhere in the Bible on fasting. And this is what Jesus says. He doesn't really say again when and how and what you can and can't eat, what you should pray. He simply gives something about your own life and that it should be done, something that's done in secret, in private. When you fast, 
do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They love to disfigure their faces and show to others that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Very simple thing. Jesus says, you get what you want. That's right. You get what you want from God and from people. If you want people to pat you on the back and congratulate you to think that you're such a wonderful, holy, religious person because you fast and you go telling them all that you fast, you celebrate it, you put it out there for everyone to know, you tell them what, what day and what month and when you do it, then you get your reward. Your reward is the pat on the back. It's what you wanted. It's what you got. But you don't get anything from God. This is what Jesus is saying. So you can see these people in Jesus' day walking around with a sad face. Ah. They walk into a meeting, into a, into a celebration, into a place of business, and they're looking haggard and torn and worn. And oh. Everyone asks the question, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm fasting, but don't tell anybody. So this is the sort of thing that religious people do. They love to parade their religion around for others. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Um, let's say, in our day, what Jesus would probably say is take a shower, put your deodorant on, your cologne on, your perfume, put your makeup on, the same way you would do every other day. Look the same. And so it's not obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is seen, and your Father who, unseen rather, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think you get the point. Now, Jesus concludes this with this expression. This is what I want to get to. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, if you're like me, I don't know anything about clothing. So maybe you can learn something from Jesus here on sewing and stitching and clothing. But it seems quite simple. Uh, the next illustration he gives, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The, the idea of wine and wineskins here is simply that, in, in fact, this is something that's still done today. It's not just in Jesus' day. It's not just the Jews. It's done all, of, all around the world. Uh, the, the stomach of an animal, say a sheep, a goat, a cow, is, is, is taken out of the animal. One end of it is stitched up, and the other end then can be used as a water container or a wine container, and there the wine can ferment. So the idea is, is if you've used that stomach once to, to hold the wine, and then you've poured the wine out, it's done something to the stomach of the, of, of the cow or the sheep so that it becomes hardened, and you can't, you can't use it again. If you do, it will start to crack, and the wine will spill out on the ground, and everything is wasted What's the point? The point is very simply this. Jesus did not come to reform old religious ways. Jesus is not introducing new methods of fasting. And therefore, when his disciples gather, he introduces a little bit different way to fast, slightly different foods to eat or not eat, different timings, different methods. And, and therefore, his fasting is slightly different than the disciples of John or the Pharisees who fast. Mm -mm, not at all. Jesus is coming to bring life. Fasting cannot bring life. Fasting can bring hunger. It can help you to reflect on God, but it cannot bring life. Life is a gift of God. It's in the hands of Jesus. And when you put your trust in him, you believe in him, you receive him, he reaches out, touches your life, and gives you a new life. 
That's not something fasting can bring. Listen, let me give you an example. It's like candles. Candles are great. We use them for, for, for burning to maybe produce a good smell. Maybe if the electricity goes out in your house, you use them. But these men are playing around with candles and how to reinvent a candle. And Jesus is bringing electricity. Jesus is bringing something brand new. The way that electricity has revolutionized our world, that's as a comparison what Jesus is doing. He's bringing new life. And to try to put this back into the old religious system is not going to work. It also means this, that quite often in your life, when Jesus begins a new work, and you go back into your old traditional ways of doing things, it's not going to work. You're going to find tension and conflict with those around you. And it's normal. It's what Jesus does. It's the result of the gospel. Why? Because those who are into religion don't understand this new life that God has put into your heart. And this new life is, is a new beginning. It's, 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 it's a new adventure that God is leading you on of, in the love of God, something he has planned and purposed for your life. And those who are interested in religion are never going to understand it. Frankly, honestly, for me, when I see people who are hooked into religious practices, and that's all they know is don't do this and do that, and they're concerned about when to fast and when to pray, I feel sorry for them because they don't have this life that I have. And when you've experienced life, it's set you free. When you, it's like the electricity. You don't want to go back to candles when you've experienced electricity. Jesus came to bring life. It's not going to fit back into the old religious ways of simply describing how to fast. Second thing that we see from Jesus is this. It has to do with the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Simple explanation here. This is a really interesting statement. It tells us that Jesus and his disciples were poor. How can we say this? Look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 22. Farmers in this time were commanded to leave the edges of the field. They were to leave those and not harvest them because there were poor people and foreigners who were traveling through and poor who couldn't afford uh, much and so they were able to go to the field and to pull the grain off and and use it for themselves so it was an act of charity that the farmer was commanded to do in the bible so jesus and his disciples are walking through the field and gleaning green it means they're hungry even though it's the sabbath they're hungry and they're getting themselves something to eat it's as simple as that but the pharisees are accusing them of harvesting and so is this really wrong? Are they really harvesting? They're not harvesting. So what had happened was that this simple command to rest on the seventh day had been turned into many different rules and laws. Now, I've heard some people say it's 37. I've heard others say it's 100. And like many religious people, they like to argue. So they can argue over how many. The point is, it's a simple command but it had been turned into many, many rules and regulations. And you will see in the Gospels that Jesus is always coming up against this problem. People so concerned about the Sabbath, and he's come to bring life. So he's being accused here of harvesting when actually he's hungry, and he's simply getting himself something to eat, and so are the disciples. 
Now, I want to make a few points about the Sabbath and then conclude this study with what Jesus says. The Sabbath is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your female servant, your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want you to notice something. You know there's no command right here to worship on Saturday, to worship on the Sabbath. Did you see that? There's no command to worship. There's a command to rest. Interesting. Also, I want you to notice this. This is part of the Old Covenant. This is for the Jewish people. In their day, it had to do with the tenancy or lease agreement and whether or not they would be cursed or blessed in staying on the land. Uh, a few other comments. You know there's no command in the New Testament for believers to worship on Sabbath. There's no command. You sh must worship on Sabbath. And I'm going to raise a question. You go research this. Are there any examples in the New Testament of the believers worshiping on a Sabbath? You figure that one out. Are the, But I will tell you this. There are examples in the New Testament of believers worshiping every day. This is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 46. Listen to this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, not even just in the church. Mm. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So every day we see here people worshiping. Again, on the first day of the week, we came together uh, to, uh, to break bread. Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day, and he kept talking until midnight. So uh, there are verses that indicate that the believers met on Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, on the first day of each week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come you won't have to make collections. So you hear a mention of the first day of the week. This is what the apostles taught in the New Testament. Number one, the Sabbath is a matter of, a personal opinion that is your personal conscience. Now this is interesting. The fact that the apostles taught this shows us that in the New Testament there was an argument among different people about whether to worship on Saturday or Sunday or every day. I mean, it seemed to be a favorite topic of, of debate and argument but as you know, as religious arguments go, they get pretty heated. People start critiquing each other, judging each other, hating each other over it. So it seems that the Apostle Paul, in two different places I'm going to show you, he's a little bit annoyed with all the arguments over this and the fights and tensions it causes because it just doesn't matter. That's the point. It's a matter of what you think and how you feel. Let me read a verse for you. Romans 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Do you see that? In fact, he continues in this chapter to say, stop critiquing and judging each other. So it's a matter of conscience. Second, we see that, uh, again, the command is there to stop arguing and stop judging each other about it. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things 
that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Notice that he actually mentions the Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you about this. A couple of quick comments, and I want to finish with Jesus' words on this from Mark chapter 2. It's amazing how this topic is so controversial for some. Yet the apostles spoke very clearly. It's a matter of your own personal opinion. And there are many things. It might be the Sabbath, and I'm not going to start to give a list, but use your imagination. Think about it. How many things do religious people fight over and argue over? Do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. And they begin to judge. They begin to critique each other. And it's a common habit and a tendency for people to get into. This interest in laws and rules kills the life of the Holy Spirit. It goes against the life-giving power of the gospel that Jesus brought to give life. And so following rules don't bring life. But it's a matter of your personal conscience. If you feel that this is a special day, then that day should be special for you, and no one should be judging you about it. However, if you feel that all days are the same, and you, you, you consider that worship and prayer is something to be done on just any day, and that's your relationship with God, then that's for you. Jesus did not come to set up a special day or to say that one day is better than another. It's a matter of your own personal conscience and your relationship with God, and you should be free from that. If people try to critique you, don't accept their critique. Don't accept their criticism and their judgment. You're free in the Lord. It's your own personal conscience and the way you want to worship before God. Let's continue as we finish this. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1-6. to And I want to make just a few very brief comments about it. First of all, it's not Abiathar, it's Ahimelech. And probably the, the name Abiathar is not Jesus, but later on a scribe that ended up with an error, putting this into the text by mistake. Not a major point, but simply that if you read the story of 1 Samuel, it's Ahimelech, the priest, not Abiathar. But I'd like to say something here. What's very interesting is that Jesus is drawing attention to one of these troublesome Bible passages. And he's drawing a point from it. You see, the priests, for Jews, had special food. It was offered before God. At the end of the day, it was to be changed out, and new food was to be put there. That was for them, and they could eat that, but no one else. It was special. David was not a priest. David was a king. David was on the run, and he sought shelter from Himelech. And he came into the tabernacle, and he was hungry, he and his men, and he asked Himelech, could he have this bread? And Himelech gave it to him. What's the point? The point is, David's need exceeded the problem of consecrated, well, problem, the, the, the consecrated bread, something that was only for the priests. They had a need. Remember, Jesus has a need in this story. He's eating his lunch with his disciples. They're going through a field and gleaning grain. They're not harvesting. They're pulling some corn and whatever they're pulling out of the field and eating it. This is the question he's answering, and he's bringing them to a text. And I think this is very funny because as someone who loves the Bible, 
I always find it funny how some people love theology and they love to argue their theology, but for no matter what theology you argue, there's always a Bible verse somewhere in the Bible that's really troublesome for you. And so Jesus has brought up one of those thorny, troublesome Bible texts, Bible passages. Hey, do you remember that story of David and and, uh, Himalek back in the Old Testament where David was hungry, he goes into into the tabernacle and Do you remember that? Of course they remember that. Of course they know this story. He's not telling them anything new. They know their Bible. But it's one of those troublesome Bible stories. What do you do with this? Well, they're not sure what to do with it because it's a hard theological question. But Jesus says, theology aside, it's an easy thing. The practical need was there for David and his men. They were hungry. I have a practical need. I'm hungry and I'm eating just as the Lord commanded the farmers to leave the corners of the field. You got the story there? So religion many times can overcome practical needs, and it's a, it's a sad thing. So the practical needs are very important for us, and we, pragmatism is a very important part of our, of, our, of, of, of our life, and it shouldn't our religion shouldn't really get in the way. I want to be cautious in what I say there, because that could be taken to an extreme. Remember the context that we're talking about here. So Jesus brings up a very sort of difficult passage for these men. They know this story, and he talks about how Uh, the need was met instead of the religious rule being followed. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I want to finish this with two very beautiful statements. Remember, we saw how Jesus said, New wine for new wineskins. He's not coming to reform the old. He's coming to transform and bring something new in the heart of an individual. It will explode religion. It will move somebody out of religion and into life, into following a life in the Spirit. But the second thing he says right here, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is beautiful. That is powerful. And it seems to be guiding Jesus' life. What is the intention there? The intention of the Sabbath is that God created man to have an excuse for a day off. Man is not in bondage to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not over him as a Lord and a ruler. Mm Mm-mm. The Sabbath was given for man to have an excuse, a day off. Your employer comes, pushes you. If you're a Jew and you're living back in the days of the Old Testament, your employer wants you to work and you say, God said I could have a day off. Nice, isn't it? You might say it's God's time management. God gave time management in the Bible. There's a need to rest, to take a morning where you sleep in. To take a day where you're not so preoccupied with all the job and the work that there is to do. Now that can be very difficult if you're running your own business. Very hard to put things aside. But time management, time for family, time to relax, time to rest. And I want you to remember the command in the Old Testament is not to worship on the Sabbath. It's to rest. So if this is something that you feel is important, it's a good thing to remember. It's not a rule to follow. It's a time management. It's something God has created as a blessing for you and for me. We can actually take some time to rest. But then Jesus finishes with this beautiful statement. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is making a bold claim here. He's saying that he is Yahweh, Lord of Lords. I am the I am. The Son of Man is the Lord over the Sabbath. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the Sabbath. That is a powerful comment. For you and I, it probably doesn't mean too much. For the Jews living in their day, 
He has just claimed that he's greater than Moses, greater than the law that Moses gave. He's putting himself on equal ground with God. That is a powerful statement. It's powerful for two reasons. Number one, it means that Jesus himself is not going to submit himself as though he is under the law, but he is the one who wrote the law. He is the one, therefore, that can clarify the law, that, the, that, that, that when he makes the statement that the Sabbath is, not, is, is written for man and not the other way around, that he has the authority to make that. Second, it liberates us from bondage to following rules and shows us the Lord is not the Sabbath, the Lord is the Lord, and it's him we follow. And so do we look to the laws and rules of religion to follow those? If so, sadly, you will end up following rules and laws. You will become a more strict individual, a more religious individual, a more critical and judgmental individual of other people. Typically, that's the direction following rules go and rule followers go. Those who follow the Lord find life. They find the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be liberating, that he is the Lord over our lives. It's, it's the rule of Christ that we follow, the law of Christ that we follow. He reaches out to us, puts new life in us, and it's him who now has the authority over our life. Not rules of religion, but God himself. Listen, I hope this study has been a help to you. I want to thank you for watching. Be blessed.